Okay, we're going to be doing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is part two. Now, in review now from part one, God made two love promises. Now, the first one's in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, this promise is for the future to give us an eternal life with him in heaven. And it's received through believing and receiving what God's Son did on the cross when he took our sin upon himself. And at that moment, when we receive him as our Savior, we also receive the Holy Spirit, and our spirit man then comes alive. When, when his Holy Spirit comes inside of us, our spirit had been dead, and it literally comes alive. Then the second promise is in the last part of Luke 3.16, that after we receive the first promise— in other words, after we receive Jesus as our Lord, then God will baptize us in his Holy Spirit. Now, this second promise is to give us the power and the boldness now to live victoriously for him on this earth. Now, these two promises are simply God saying, I've got you covered in this life with my promise in Luke 3.16 so that you can have the boldness to be my witness. And then I also have you covered in the next life with the promise in John 3.16 that you will live eternally with me. He's covered from now throughout eternity. Now, these two promises cover us in this life and in the life to come. Now, a lot of Christians don't see these as two separate promises. Now, the first one was given on the first day of Jesus' resurrection, and this is in John 20, verse 22. He appeared to the disciples, and they recognized him. Can't you imagine what that must have been like? When here they've been so afraid, they've been hiding from the Jews, and they look up, and here's Jesus. He has been resurrected, and it says that they received at that point the Holy Spirit. Then, 40 days later, the second promise came after Jesus ascended to the Father, and at that time, the Bible says that they became spirit-baptized on the outside on the day of Pentecost, and they were spirit-baptized on the outside with power to tell the world about a Savior. Now, we received the first promise on the inside when we made Jesus our Lord. That's when we receive the Spirit on the inside. Then the second promise we receive on the outside to give us the boldness now to tell the world about our Savior. So it's two separate experiences. One to give us a ticket to heaven and one for living victoriously in this life. Now, this is so important. The first one is offered as our ticket to heaven and we can either choose to receive it or we can reject it. It's a choice. So the first choice is a choice. It truly is a choice. We can say no. But once we make the choice to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're then commanded in Luke 3.16 to receive the second promise. The first one's a choice, but the second is a, it's a commandment. And the reason God's commanding it is because we're going to have to have this second promise. We're going to have to have this baptism for living in this fallen world. And it's a gift. It was such a good gift. And that's why it's commanded. Now, in Acts 1 verse 3, it says, After his resurrection from the dead, Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days and speaking things concerning the kingdom of God. And then he gathered them together at the end of the 40 days, and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. But he said, I want you to wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, you've heard about it from me. I've been telling you about it. Now, if Jesus saw the need enough for us to be commanded to get this second experience, then how much more is it imperative that we determine to get it? You know, some people seem like they, they say, well, you know, some people have it. I, I don't know whether I want it or whether I don't. You know, that's, that's almost a slap in God's face. If he saw that it was imperative for us to have it, then that needs to be something that we just say, I've got to have it. I want it. I can't get it fast enough. Now, some people want to know why we re refer to it as the second receiving of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, it's like I said, the first receiving of the Holy Spirit was in John 20, verse 22, when the disciples recognized Jesus on the day of his resurrection, and they saw him and they realized he was the risen Son of God, and they received him at that point as Lord. Now, when they did that instantly, their spirit man was reborn, and instantly they were changed from death to life because that's when the Holy Spirit came into them. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, it changes us. It literally changes our spirit man. And then they were told in Acts 1 to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now they had already received the Spirit in John 20, but they were then told to wait for the baptism, which was going to come to them as a second experience to give them the power then to be a witness. The first one got them into heaven. The second one was going to give them the power. Okay, now let's look at a couple of other accounts that indicate that it is a separate experience. In Acts 8 verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he kept proclaiming Christ to them. And in verse 12, but when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Don't you know that was exciting? Verse 14, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans had received the word of God, they then sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized now in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had a baptism. They got filled with the Spirit when they received Jesus. So it could not have been said any more clearly. Philip preached Christ and they believed in in him in verse 12, and then they received the Holy Spirit and it brought salvation. At that point, the Holy Spirit had entered their spirit and their spirit men came alive on the inside. But then when the apostles now in Jerusalem heard about the people getting saved, when they sent Peter and, and John to pray for them, they prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the people in Samaria had a second experience. It gave them the baptism of boldness to get out and win the world for Jesus. So these two baptisms, one is to to change us on the inside and make us belong to God. The second one gives us this boldness that we have to have. Another accounts in Acts 19, 1 through 6. Some people question the baptism of John as not being salvation as we know it. But verse 5 now is a very clear salvation experience. But it still took verse 6 to get that second experience with the Holy Spirit to receive the power and the manifestation in their life. That was going to give them the boldness. So uh, it's for two different things. That's why it's so important that we have both of them. Now, I'm not saying that it has to be a second experience. These people received it as close as one verse apart, but the Bible promises that it is ours and it can be a second experience. Okay, the next question some people want to know, is it mentioned in the Old Testament? Well, Isaiah 28 verse 11 tells us that God said that he he would speak to his people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. And you say, well, how do you know for sure that that's speaking about speaking in tongues? Well, we can know that beyond a shadow of a doubt because Paul quotes that that Old Testament prophecy, he quotes it in 1 Corinthians 14, 21, in direct reference to speaking in tongues. So I meant he doesn't leave anything where we have to decide on our own. God lets us know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, some people say, well, tongues must not be too important because Jesus never mentioned it. And a lot of people really believe that, but they just haven't read their Bible because Mark 16, 17 You need to mark this scripture because Jesus said, These signs will accompany them that believe. In my name they'll cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. So he makes it so clear. 
So Jesus told us that we would be speaking in new tongues if we believe. So it's very scriptural. But very few people, even those who have it, very few know how much the prayer tongue is worth to the believer. It is worth so much. They don't know how much it's worth to the believer until we finally dig in the word and we begin to see the value of it because the word lets us know how important it is. You know, I heard a testimony once of this person who had gotten the baptism back in 1940 or in the 50s. They had spoken in tongues and they were so excited about the Lord, but it says that they never spoke in tongues again. Well, I think, you know, how sad, because the more we study the word of God, the more we see the value of the prayer tongue. Now, I'm going to give you nine values to tongues, because I think it's important for us to realize how much these tongues are worth to us in our Christian walk. Now, number one, in Ephesians 6.10, it's a part of our spiritual armor. Now, a lot of people don't realize that, but Paul is telling us to put on the helmet of salvation. Okay, he's telling us to put on the breastplate of righteousness that comes from the Lord Jesus. He tells us to put on this belt of truth, and then he tells us to hold up in front of us the shield of faith. And then he tells us to take the sword, which is the word of God. And most people stop right there. But Paul doesn't stop there. The very next verse in verse 18 says to pray all the time in the spirit. Now, too often we stop with verse 17 and we don't realize that praying in the spirit is a part of our armor. Now, when we don't pray in the spirit, it would be like going into battle without some of the armor. You know, maybe we'd leave our shield at home or maybe we'd get out on the field of the battle and we think, oh, my goodness, I forgot my breastplate. You know, we wouldn't think of leaving our shield or our shoes of preparation, but we forget that praying at all times in the spirit is just as important. It's just as much a part of our armor as any of the other pieces. Now, some people want to know, well, how do you know that praying in the spirit is the same thing as praying in tongues? Well, later you can look up 1 Corinthians 14, 14. But in verse 14, Paul makes it very clear that he's talking about tongues. He said, if I pray in an unknown tongue, he said, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. In other words, he was saying, my mind doesn't comprehend what I'm saying. So he says, well, what's the outcome then? Verse 15, I'll pray in my known language and I'll pray in the spirit. Now, according to verse 14, that means I'm going to pray in tongues and I'll pray with my mind also. And then he goes on past that and he says, I'll also sing in the spirit and I'll sing in the tongues and in my understanding. Now, Paul makes it very clear that praying in the spirit is praying in tongues. Okay, the number two value is in 1 Corinthians 14, 4. The one who speaks in tongues edifies himself. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I don't, I don't want to edify myself. That's talking about pride. No, that's not talking about pride. When it talks about edifying ourselves, this means edifying or building up our spirit men into our most holy faith. That doesn't have anything to do with pride. Now, my spirit man is the real me. So as I pray in the spirit, this is going to build me up spiritually. And if you'll just do a little experiment and pray in your prayer tongue for at least one hour every morning for the next six weeks. If you'll just do that one hour every morning, you're not going to be able to believe the difference in the place where you're going to be after six weeks. It's amazing what that does for a person. Now, praying in the Spirit, the mind is unfruitful. Your mind is not involved when you're praying in the Spirit. So your spirit man is praying according to God's perfect will. So no wonder praying in the Spirit is so important. Because when we're praying in our known language, we're not always praying according to God's perfect will. But he lets us know right here that when we pray in the Spirit, our mind mind doesn't know what, even what we're saying. So this lets us know we're praying according to the perfect will of the Father. Okay, number three value. We see all through 1 Corinthians 14 that it is a prayer tongue of praise. 
you're praising the Father. So a lot of times when you're just praying in your prayer tongue over and over through the afternoon, you, you don't realize you're just saying wonderful things about the Father. You're telling him how wonderful he is. You're telling him how much you love him. You're telling him, I can't do without you, Lord. And that's what Paul meant then when he said, I'll sing in the Spirit and I'll sing in my understanding. But he said, when I'm singing in the Spirit, he said, it's a manifestation of praise and a manifestation of joy. And you can't really pray in the Spirit very long without having joy begin to bubble up on the inside of you. Okay, number two, the four value. First Corinthians 14, 2. We are speaking mysteries to God. I think it's interesting that it tells us we're speaking mysteries. That's because our mind doesn't understand it. And if our mind doesn't understand it, we need to realize Satan can't comprehend it either. So that's a big value. Okay, number five. In 1 Corinthians 14, 22, it's a sign to the unbeliever. It tells us tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to those who are unbelievers. And it is amazing how many times non-Christians will hear a group praying in tongues and all of a sudden it bears witness to their spirit and it draws them in. Okay, number six. In verse 13, Paul says, pray that you might interpret after you've spoken in tongues. Now, this is so important. You hear often in a church service, you'll hear tongues and interpretation, and that's talking about the gift or the manifestation of tongues and interpretation for a church service. So don't get them mixed up with your private tongue. In your own private prayer time, when you're praying in the Spirit, you're not going to know what you're praying. So you're praying mysteries to the Father. But there's going to be times when you know to pray and ask God to give you the interpretation. And that can be so valuable. And when it's important, when it's necessary, God will do that for us. If you're getting ready to witness to someone or, or maybe someone has a problem that you're praying for, many times you can pray in the Spirit and you can ask God for the interpretation and you'll find yourself coming forth with words of wisdom that's exactly what they need. And you're not going to know it in your natural mind, but you'll be answering questions for them that you don't know what they're going through, but it'll be exactly what they need to hear because God is responding back to them with that interpretation. Now, God wants to help you in all of these little everyday problems. You know, that's why uh, speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues, that's why it's so valuable because God knows these little things that we're going through day in and day out. And if just praying in tongues, I can absolutely start answering things that we don't, problems that we don't even know are coming up. We don't have any answers for it. And God knows and he gives us those answers. That's why we don't need to say, okay, you know, I, some people speak in tongues, but that's not for me. I mean, we're, we're saying, I don't want one of your most valuable gifts, Lord. And that's what's so sad. Now, I could give you an example after example where God has given us and countless others the interpretation of their prayer tongue just exactly when they needed it. And it's so valuable. I can't, I can't even tell you the value that it has. Now, when we were building our house, we couldn't get the electrical company out of Brady to come and hook us up with electricity. And we couldn't figure out why, because they had told us, as soon as you are ready, we'll come and hook you up. And so we had come to a real standstill because we needed that electricity. So finally, Jack just called, and he was real honest, and he said, why won't you come and hook us up? What's going on? Well, the man finally admitted that they had been putting us off because of the size wiring that we had used. He said, we haven't known how to take care of it. Well, Jack got off the phone and he went outside and he started praying in his prayer tongue because it kind of scared us because we had used that heavier wire all through the house. And we thought, 
is this going to keep us from being able to get electricity? So he was out praying, and God gave him the interpretation, and he called them back, and he asked if it would work if they did thus and so. I, I can't remember what exactly it was. I don't even know whether I knew for sure at the time. But he asked them, would this help? And they immediately said, that's exactly, yes, that will work. And the guys say, we'll come immediately. They were there within two hours to hook us up to electricity. It was so simple. But we couldn't have known that on our own. There was no way we could have known that. Uh, but God gave it supernaturally to Jack when he was praying in his prayer time. Now, God wants to give us answers to the problems that we encounter. We're going to encounter a lot of problems in this life while we're walking through this life. But what's wonderful is to realize that there's not a problem that we can face that God doesn't have an answer for. And so many times the answer comes when we're praying in our prayer tongue and God then gives us the interpretation. That's part of the value of tongues. He wants us to live a victorious life. God wants us to have victory more than we want it for ourselves. And it's so simple. And a lot of times the victory comes when we use our prayer tongue and we allow God then to give us the interpretation. But we're not going to have as much of an abundant life as is available if we don't take all he's got. You know, when some people say, well, you know, I don't know whether I need tongues or not. They're saying no to a wonderful gift that God's made available to give us answers when there's no way we could have gotten the answer in the natural. Now, I need to mention this. Sometimes you're going to be praying in your prayer time, and you'll ask for an interpretation, and nothing comes. And you think, well, I asked, and I didn't get anything. And maybe later, maybe the next day, a situation will come, and the answer will just be right there. So what I found out is that God often gives us what we need when we need it. Not necessarily when we're saying, oh, God, please answer my, uh, my question. I need to hear from you. But wh when, when we're believing him and we're praying in our prayer tongue, and then at the moment when they need it, that's when it comes. Now, I also need to add one word of warning here. Your prayer tongue is pure. It's the Holy Spirit that's giving you the utterance. But since the interpretation comes back to us, it sometimes passes through the thought process because it's coming back in your known language. And so we have to be careful to keep ourselves away from fear when we hear the answer or to keep ourselves away from self-will or trying to make it work. We have to be sure that we fight against reasoning because these things can influence what we think we hear when we're interpreting. So we have to watch for that. And that's part of what it means in verse 32, the spirit of the prophet are subjects to the prophet. If we remember that and we understand it and we lay it before God, then he brings not only the understanding, but he takes away the fears. He takes away the anxieties. Okay, number seven, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10, this is such a very special scripture. I want you to meditate on this scripture during your private Bible study time because it'll be a blessing to you. But it says it's written, things which the eye has not seen, the ear has not heard, and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Think about that promise. We, we haven't even been able to comprehend or think about everything that God has laid up for us just because he loves us. For to us, God reveals these things through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all the things, even the depths of God. For who among man knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but we've received the Spirit who is from God 
that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words that are taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolish to him. And you know, really, if a person's not running with God and believing in God, you hear some of the things that God gives to his children, and it does sound foolish to the world, but it's not foolish when we're walking with God, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised, but he who is spiritual appraises all things. We need to take that promise and thank God for it. When we're trying to live for God and we, we want to hear in the Spirit, we're going to be able to appraise all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We need to just thank God over and over. Lord, you've given us the mind of Christ. That's awesome when we think about that. Okay, now this is such a special promise. And then verse 10 tells us that God has revealed things that we cannot see, and he's revealed it through the Spirit of God. Okay, verse 10, for to us, God has revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Okay, I want you to think about that when it tells us that he's revealing the depths of God. I can't even imagine that we can say, God's going to reveal to me the depths of God. We, that's just hard to even comprehend, but he wants to, to reveal those things to us. Verse 15, no one can be able to judge you when you're walking in the Spirit because you're walking in a different dimension. So anytime we're praying in the Spirit and we're being led by the Spirit of God, we're walking in a different dimension than what the world's walking in. And the world may never understand what we're saying and what we're doing. But when we're doing this, we're, we're being led by the Spirit of God. We're walking in His Spirit. Okay, then verse 16, the way you have the mind of Christ is when you take on the Spirit and you allow the Spirit then to operate through you and you're able to speak forth the thoughts of God through your prayer tongue. The prayer tongue is so valuable. I can't even begin to explain how valuable it is. And number eight in Judas 20 says that when you pray in the Spirit, it will build you up in your most holy faith. If we really believed that, we'd be praying in the Spirit every day to build ourselves up because we want faith. We want to be able to operate in faith. And when he tells us that praying in the Spirit builds us up in our most holy faith, wow, if we believed that, we'd be praying in it all the time. Now, there's times when you come to a crisis and you need your most set-apart holy faith. You're really needing it then. Now, every one of us have faced a crisis at, at some point in our life. When my little niece fell off the horse, well, I tell you what, we were in a crisis situation and we needed to be in our most holy faith. We needed that in order to stand against the horrible reports in the hospital that were being made. I mean, I, I couldn't, I didn't even write down what the doctor was saying because it was so horrible. And the things that the enemy was trying to put into our minds, you can imagine. Now, we had prayed in our prayer tongue all the way to Abilene and when they began to tell us that she might not live through the night, that was his first statement, because he met us in the hall, and we were talking to him in the hall. He was quite sure there would be some brain damage, and he said, we're pretty sure there's going to be some loss of eyesight, if not total loss of eyesight, and some loss of hearing. And well, you can imagine hearing all that at one time. And 
I was just standing there. I mean, it, it was like I was having a hard time believing what I was hearing. But my brother pulled me aside and he began to say out loud to me what God's word said. The doctor was standing there. It was really amazing. But he wasn't about to say what that doctor said. And not only did she live through the night, but seven days later, she walked out of the hospital perfectly whole in every way. Even the nurses said that they had a lot of people that seemingly weren't nearly as bad off as she was. And they're still in the hospital seven months later, some of them nine months later, trying to learn how to walk, trying to learn how to talk. I mean, we knew we had a supernatural miracle. And I wish I could tell you that it's because my faith was so great. It was my brother. He would absolutely not let us even say one thing that the doctor was saying. He said, we have the word of God. This is our time to use it. Now, praying in the spirit will build you up in your most holy faith. And wow, we need our most holy faith so many times for living in, in, in this day and age. Okay, number nine, a lot of people will quote Romans 8, verse 28. All things work together for good for those that are called according to your purpose. And I'll, I'll hear so many people quote that. And that's a beautiful promise. But we can't just start there at verse 28. We've got to start at verse 26. So we can't take that verse 28 out of context. Romans 8 verse 26 says, The Spirit helps our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Holy Spirit himself will intercede for us with groanings too deep for words. So this lets us know we can't just jump to verse 28. We need to start praying in the Spirit. Start praying in the Spirit because he's interceding for us with groanings sometimes too deep for words. I don't know how many of you have experienced this, but sometimes when you have a very serious thing happen, Sometimes you're praying in the Spirit, and it's like you're groaning, groaning. It is too deep for words because you're praying according to the perfect will of the Father. You're praying through this horrible situation. And then verse 27 says, And then he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we're praying in the Spirit, we know that we are interceding according to the perfect will of the Father. So we can't just jump to the promise in verse 28. We need to do what he's telling us to do, praying in the Spirit, you know, according to the will of the Father. And then when we've done that, then verse 28 says, Then we can know that God causes all things to work together gather for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to the purpose. Oh, that's a powerful promise. I love that promise. But we've got to do the homework ahead of time, the praying in the Spirit until we get the release. Then we can know that God causes all things to work together for good for those that are called according to His purpose. So praying in the Spirit now is a part of the condition to this promise here. So don't leave that part out. Now, when you pray in the Spirit, then you can know that all things work together for good for those that are called according to His purpose. Now, we've talked about nine advantages to speaking in tongues. Now, I just want to call attention to a couple of misconceptions. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30. All do not have the gift of healing, do they? Because it says, not everybody's going to have healing. All don't speak with tongues, do they? Okay, not everybody's going to speak in tongues It's same. All do not in interpret, do they? And I've had so many people say, well, no, not everybody's going to have tongues. They're not going to all have healing. They're not going to all interpret. It says right here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30, that all won't. And I've had so many people quote that one scripture, trying to put down the promises of God. And they'll say, it says right here, not everybody's going to have it. But if you look very closely, that's why sometimes you can see a scripture 
and it'll make you catch your breath because it makes it sound like the word's not going to work. But you have to read before and behind it and, and seek God to get the true meaning. And if you look closely, this is talking about one of the nine gifts or manifestations of the Holy Spirit that's listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. And if you'll look back in verse 28 for the answer to this, it says God has appointed in the church. So that's not talking to us as individuals. That's talking about what takes place in a church service. And so he's talking here in verse 30 about the ministry gifts that operate in a church service when we come together as a body. And we're not necessarily all going to operate in gifts of healing in a church. God may call out different ones to operate in the gift of healing, but not everyone's going to do it in the church service every single time. Or we're not going to all be apostles, of course. We're not all going to give a message in, in tongues and have the interpretation publicly in a church service. But we all have their private prayer tongue and the promises go that go with our private prayer tongue. And when we get the baptism, then Jesus said, these signs will follow those that believe. So don't get it mixed up when it's talking about what takes place in a church service and then what takes place with us individually. Okay, in Acts 2 verse 4 and also in the book of Ephesians and several other places in the New Testament, it says, all spoke with new tongues. You know, when Peter went to the house in Cornelius, the Spirit fell on them. They all began to speak with other tongues. Now, in private, this is for every believer when it's in private, but maybe not all publicly, you know, in a church service. And we need to remember that or it'll throw us off and it'll, it'll make us quit believing for it. Well, what about Paul himself? In verse 18, 1 Corinthians 14, one simple statement that Paul made will clear up every misunderstanding about whether Paul spoke in tongues. Paul said in verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Well, that pretty well says it all. I can remember one girl came up to me one time and she said, I can't find any place in the word where Paul spoke in tongues. So she said, it must not be that important. And I just happened to have remembered that scripture. Sometimes I can't pull a scripture up as fast as I want to, but that particular time it was there. And I read to her and I said, Paul himself said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. And she didn't have another word to say. She just walked off. Now he used his prayer tongue and that's how we can pray without ceasing in our prayer tongue. Now, a lot of people think it's the least of the gifts because it's listed last and it is listed last. And some people even say that the the Bible says that it's the least gift. Well, the Bible doesn't say that, but I've had people tell me that. And just because it's listed last now does not make it the least. Because if you'll look up later in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, this is in the same letter to the Corinthian church. And Paul says, now abides faith, hope, and love. These three. But he says, the greatest is these is love. But if you'll notice, love was listed last, <laughs> you know, so that doesn't have anything to do with him. Okay, 1 Corinthians 14, 37 is our last scripture. Paul has just been talking now about tongues and prophecy and the other manifestations of the Spirit. And in verse 37, it says, if anyone thinks he's a prophet, or if anyone thinks that he's spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandments. He said, if, if, if you think you're spiritual, then you need to recognize, Paul's saying, you need to recognize that what I'm telling you are the commandments of God. So Paul was not saying these things as a suggestion. And in verse 39, he said, Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, but don't forbid to speak in tongues. Don't forbid anyone that. 
And he was talking then about the private prayer time. Now, I've had people say, well, it certainly doesn't make one be a better person. They said, you know, I have this old aunt, and she's just a saint, and she's never spoken in tongues, and yet there's never been a better person on the face of this earth. Boy, they're just really fighting for that. I agree. I can't deny that. That just reemphasizes again what tongues are really for. They are to give us power to and bonus to be a witness for God. It's a tool, you know. It's not to show how how spiritual we are. Just because a person speaks in tongues, they might not be a very spiritual person. But what it does is giving them the power and the boldness to to do God's work. Now, the Lord gave me an illustration years ago. I'm going to end with this. He said that there can be two carpenters and they can have equal talent and equal ability. They can both go on the job site. They both are top in their trade. And yet if one of them carried with him a box of tools and the other carpenter came to work without his tools, the one with the tools is going to get a lot more accomplished. You know, even though maybe they have equal ability, the carpenter with the saw and the the drill and the hammer and nails, he's going to be able to do a lot more then than the one that has no tools. Now, we can go out in our yard and we can begin pulling weeds around the trees and around the sidewalk, you know, and we can make some headway. But if we get out the weed eater, we can accomplish a lot more. So the manifestation of the Holy Spirit are the tools of the trade. That's why they're so important. Now, there... These are the things that God has provided, and if we use them correctly, we're going to find out we're going to get a lot more accomplished in the kingdom than without it. Now, anything God offers has to be important because nothing from God is worthless. When the God of the universe creates us and then tells us what we need for bonus and what we need to have power to be a witness, we need to be very careful that we don't treat these things lightly. We need to be very careful to say, you know, I don't know whether I need the baptism or not. I mean, that's just an abomination when we say that to God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the beginning place for ministry. Now, so many people see it as a reward for being good and being favored, but no. You, you know, it's, it's, it's a gift for service. It has nothing to do with a reward or favor. Now, some people think that they'll seek after the baptism after they get good enough. Well, that's a misunderstanding. doesn't say that in the Word of God. Speaking in tongues is not the goal. It's the means by which we're able to reach the goal. Well, Father, I thank you so much for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Lord, I know there's a lot of Christians who fight it and don't use it. But, Father, it is a gift of power that you've given to us to be able to accomplish the work. it's, It's the means by which many times that we can get something done that we couldn't get it done any other way. It's the means by which you've given us to reach the goal. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that your Christians will begin to realize how valuable this gift of tongues really is. They'll begin to see that it's a power gift by your Holy Spirit that you've given to us to cause us to be able to live a victorious life, to be able to accomplish the things for the kingdom that you've called us to accomplish. I pray, Father, that as we seek you, Lord, that you'll make it known to us how valuable, how valuable the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, how valuable it is to use our tongues and not just have it and lay it aside and and, uh, think, oh, well, I don't need it today. We need it every day, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name that we'll take it, we'll operate, Father, in in tongues and interpretation, and, and Father, that we'll accomplish everything you've called us to accomplish every single day of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.